Good morning. I apologize in advance for my voice. Uh, can't do anything about it. Um, I probably should have asked for a replacement. <clears throat> but when the Lord puts you in the lineup, it's hard to leave the field. So let's pray together. Lord, I thank you that your strength is perfected in weakness. And I ask this morning that you would use my voice and use your words to speak your truth to your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> A few weeks ago, we looked together for two consecutive weeks at the scriptural topic of death and dying. This week, I intended to begin a series of messages on what lies beyond the grave, beyond our own physical death. One of the last points I made in that second message was that uh, death is like a shadow to the believer, and it can't harm us because we're eternal creatures in Christ. But I forgot to add a very important point. The Scripture says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Sometimes our physical death or the death of a loved one, it's a low path. It's in the valley. It's a hard time. But again, in Christ, death is but a shadow because we're eternal creatures and we will rise again at His coming. For believers and professors of Christ, heaven is a free gift of eternal life. For the non-believer, still bound in his or her fallen nature of sin, the destination for them is hell, which is eternal, complete, absolute separation from the presence of God. Well, today's message is going to aim us towards heaven. <laughs> But I'm getting there with a very circuitous route, so bear with me. Allow me this morning to lay some groundwork, some framework, regarding the makeup of each of us and of each human being that's ever been born, and fundamentally who we are in Jesus Christ. Each of us is created by God with at least two, and some believe three, dimensions, body and soul slash spirit, or body, soul, and spirit. Wherever you fall on that belief system, it, you know, it's between you and God. But those who believe that man has body and soul slash spirit, with those two terms being interchangeably used in Scripture to refer to the soul, they believe that man has a material part, a body, and an immaterial part, the soul slash spirit. And those who believe this are called dichotomists. And those who believe that there are three distinct parts, body, soul, and spirit, are called trichotomists. A little trivia there. Uh, there are compelling arguments for both positions, but whether two or three parts, the complete man or woman has unity in those dimensions. They were not intended to be ripped apart but that's exactly what sin does. Sin has caused spiritual death before physical birth. And the physical death of our bodies at some future point in time with a soul life in between that's lost in turmoil and confusion 
unless it's found in Jesus Christ. Christ makes all the difference. Romans 10, 8 through 10 says, The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we are preaching, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. And the verse we all love, 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away, and behold, all things are new. New things have come. It's by faith in Christ alone that we are saved. In Him we are spiritually reborn, and we begin a lifelong journey of discovery of the goodness and majesty of a loving God who would willingly sacrifice His only Son, that we might be reconciled in relationship to Him and become ministers of that same reconciliation to a lost world around us. In Christ we have received the seal of the Holy Spirit, a promise of what is to come. And the Holy Spirit leads us to know what is true, and He stirs within us the pursuit of the life of God. And in the resurrection, our earthly bodies are reunited with our spirit-reborn souls and are glorified to the glory of God to live forever in His presence. And with that broad overview, let's consider for a moment these dimensions of man. Now the body, of course, is our, it's our vehicle of transportation, if you will. It's our means of moving from one place to another or performing various tasks. When we are young, many of us have ATVs, all-terrain vehicles. We can run, we can walk, we can jump, we can climb, all of that. We're all over the place. As we get older, we transition to more scooter-like vehicles where the run becomes more of a shuffle. And I'm reminded of the comedian Tim Conway on The Carol Burnett Show, uh, who had a character sketch he did of an old dentist, and he walked like this. I'm not there yet, but the thought of that is not as humorous as it used to be. And I don't mean to pick on him, I really don't, but we can all look at our current president and readily realize that his body, his transporter, is not what it used to be. It's one of the difficulties of growing older. It's the loss of mobility. So we have our physical bodies, and truly they are, as the scripture says, fearfully and wonderfully made. With all our technological advances, robotics are just now beginning to mimic uh, rudimentally what God has created in us naturally. Our bodies are not only wonderfully made, they're also uniquely made. The National Forensic Science Technology Center states that no two people have ever been found to have the same fingerprints, not even in identical twins. Now think of that, billions of people that have been born, lived, and died on this planet. No two had the same fingerprints. Only God. He has wonderfully made us. The body's ability to heal. I'm counting on this. <laughs> the power of the blood to dispense oxygen-rich blood cells throughout the body to regenerate tissue. Amazing. 
But because of sin, our bodies are destined to die. We all will die physically. But this is not the end of our bodies. As I noted earlier, God created us as embodied souls. And even though our souls are separated from our bodies at physical death, they will rise as glorified bodies in the resurrection at the return of Christ and will be reunited with our souls. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15, 50-57, Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable. And this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on the imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, then will come about the saying which is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is the victory? Where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Sin rips body and soul apart in death, but Christ swallows up death in victory. As John Bloom has noted, So the great divide between our immaterial soul and our material body that happens at our cursed cause death will become, in the resurrection, the great reunion of our soul and body, a glorious body that, like Jesus's, will never die again, Romans 6, 9. And of all the glorious things that we will experience in our resurrected, reunified state as inhabitants of God's new creation, the joy of joys, our light of our new life, the heaven of the new earth will be this, that we will always be with the Lord. 1 Thessalonians 4.17 What a hope and a promise we have in Jesus. As C.S. Lewis said, there are far, far better things ahead than anything we leave behind. So the first dimension of man is the body. And as we've touched on in these scriptures, the second dimension of each human being is the soul. The soul is comprised of our mind, uh, our will, and our emotions. John Bloom has noted that your soul is your essential life. It's what animates your body and continues to exist when your body dies. And it's what will animate your resurrected body. The soul is also the battlefield that Satan fights us on and attacks us on. He may attack our bodies as well, but the battle is for our soul. Because it's in our mind, it's in our thoughts, our thinking, our emotions, where we affect our will to either pursue God or to pursue the fruits of the flesh. Satan spreads darkness, often disguised as light, in our thoughts in our desires, our feelings, our longings, our priorities, our dreams, our goals, and our intentions. Satan offers up attractions and distractions in what we see and in what we hear, what we read, and whom we listen to. 
in order to deter us from pursuing holiness, righteousness, and the goodness of God. But when a soul hears the calling of the Spirit of God through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ and turns to answer that call, he or she receives the gift of faith. And in surrendering to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, that person is born again, made alive in the Spirit, transported out of darkness into His marvelous light. And all, as 2 Corinthians 5.17 said, is made new. This is the gospel. This is the good news. Christ is our hope. He is our life. He is our light. At that moment of spiritual regeneration, the soul of a man is turned towards the things of God. I was thinking about the image being an oriental and watching the sailboats on the river. And a boat has its sails going one way and it's time to turn around. The nautical term is to come about. <laughs> That's what happens when someone chooses to follow God. It is a coming about and a turning. His mind, will, and emotions are then daily turned over to the Lordship of Jesus by the denial of Himself. And in so doing, the new believer is transformed by the renewing of his mind, by the Word of God, and his will then becomes desirous to do the will of the Father. And his emotions and affections then are directed toward that which is lovely, that which is true, and that which is holy. That's the conversion experience. Paul wrote to the church at Philippi, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The Lord is near. Be anxious for nothing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence and if anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me Practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Philippians 4, 4-9 through 9. This is the new nature of the regenerated believer, infused with the illumination of the Holy Spirit, revealing the Word of God, giving testimony to the Son of God, desiring to live to the pleasure and the honor of the one true living God. Paul refers to the natural man and the spiritual man in Scripture. As we grow in faith, it's our spiritual inner man in communion with the Holy Spirit that begins influencing the desires and actions of our soul to prefer light over darkness, hope over despair, grace over grievance, giving over hoarding, and dying to self rather than living for self. Paul says it's our spiritual man that by faith is being renewed day by day, even though our outer man, the body, is decaying. 
body, soul, spirit, separated by sin, reunited in Christ. Augustine of Hippo once said, take care of your body as if you were going to live forever. Take care of your soul as if you're going to die tomorrow. Each of us having received the forgiveness and grace of God through the redemptive work of Christ on the cross and the regenerative work of the resurrection of Christ from the dead have committed our earthly bodies along with our souls to the service of Jesus. That's what it means to follow Christ. <clears throat> he has empowered us to walk in victory over sin in this world through obedience to his word by the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us. And we each obviously experience varying degrees of success and growth towards Christ-likeness in our lives. We all know that this is a lifelong process that will only find full fruition when we're called into the air to meet Him face to face, where we will be changed in an instant. The Scripture says, in the twinkling of an eye. Notice it doesn't say the blinking of an eye. It's the twinkling of an eye. And I wonder if it's the twinkle in Jesus' eye that instantly changes us all. In that moment, we will receive our glorified bodies as we will be complete, lacking in nothing. For we will see Him just as He is, and we will forever be in His presence. This is the hope of the believer. This is my hope, the hope of heaven, to be where He is forever. To be with Him eternally. That is heaven. In 1773, an 18-year-old Oxford student who was striving to live a godly life was given a book entitled The Life of God in the Soul of Man. After reading the book, the young man wrote, I never knew what true religion was till God sent me that excellent treatise by the hands of a my never-to-be-forgotten friend. Well, that Oxford student was George Whitfield, who would within a few years, and we've talked about George before, would be one of the most renowned preachers in all the world, and he would spearhead a revival that traversed the Atlantic Ocean. The friend who gave Whitfield that book was Charles Wesley, the great hymn writer of that period. The book itself was written by a young Scottish minister named Henry Scougal. hope I'm pronouncing that right. He died at the age of 28. His book was published in 1677, and it was originally a tender letter of spiritual encouragement and direction to a female friend. Scougal wrote simply of the basic teachings of the Apostle Paul for all believers. His message was simply this, that we are all meant to experience union of the soul with God a real participation in the divine nature. In its simplest form, it's having Christ formed within us where He is the potter and we are the clay. Professor Bruce Hindmarsh of Regent College, reflecting on Schugel's book, noted this, The breakthrough for Whitfield, as for others, was the discovery that union with Christ 
was the center of the spiritual life. Everything else flowed from this. The work of Christ as our mediator is useless for, to us unless we're united to Christ by His Spirit. Correct doctrine, correct practice, correct morality, all this is fine and good, but it isn't the thing itself. The essence of Christianity, or true religion as they called it, is to have a new vital principle animating the soul. Christianity is not just an idea. Skugel wrote, I know not how the nature of religion can be more fully expressed than by calling it a divine life. It is to find God himself taking up residence and living in me. Thus the title, The Life of God in the Soul of Man. Paul puts it this way, Christ in me, the hope of glory. So can it be said of us, I see Christ in him. There's something different about her. I see God in her life. I see the peace of God on them. Are we living and experiencing the divine life of Christ within us, forming us unto himself? It's the completed work of Christ on the cross that qualifies us for heaven. It's the divine life of Christ within us by the Holy Spirit that prepares us for heaven. Which brings us to the study of heaven. And we'll pick up on that in the next message. <laughs> this morning we observe communion. How fitting that we celebrate the life of God within us by remembering Christ's sacrifice for us that it might be possible to be reconciled to God. By the breaking of the bread, we remembered His body broken for us. By the drinking of the cup, we remembered His lifeblood shed for our sins that we might be reconciled to Him. And He's given us that same ministry of reconciliation. Let's pray. Oh God, what a glorious gospel we are living, we are experiencing. You've called us to preach and to share and to communicate to others. I thank you, Lord, that when we turned, when we came about in our lives, you quickened in us a desire to know you, to follow you, to seek you, to be formed by you. I thank you, Lord, for coming into my life and making all things new. Forgive me when I've crawled off that altar as a living sacrifice and uh, gone back to old things like the children of Israel seeking after leeks and onions, desiring those things of the old. Sometimes I just don't understand how silly I am. But God, I thank you for how gracious you are, for how forgiving and kind. Lord Jesus, I love you and I thank you for your grace and mercy. I pray that the rest of my life might be spent allowing you to form in me a Christ-likeness that brings you glory, that others would see it and say, I see God in him, and be drawn to the light, that you would be glorified. We ask it in your name. Amen.